Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can expand your sustainable and ESG opportunities with insights from leaders in the field. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these weekly conversations about developments in this fast-growing industry. Today's program is about agriculture technology and addressing sustainable and organic food production and how that's happening. It's not a topic typically on finance professionals' radar. So I'm really excited to have Tania Pinna on the show today. Tania launched Renewable in 2011, and the company was recently selected as a Grow New York 2020 finalist. Renewable is an agriculture technology slash social enterprise startup that uses yesterday's leftovers to fuel tomorrow's abundance. Let's talk about what that means. Hi, Tania, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thanks for having me on here, Paul. I really appreciate it. Yes, well, please give our listeners a description of how Renewable's agriculture technology converts food waste into fuel for growing tomorrow's food in a closed-loop food production environment. I'd be happy to. So Renewable is an agricultural technology company that uses what we call as organic cycling science. And that's an approach to decarbonize the global fertilizer supply chain. So globally, the agricultural industry contributes to roughly 14% of the greenhouse gas emissions. 3% of that is largely because of the petroleum um, involved practices to extract what are called mineral salts that serve as our, uh, our fertilizer supply. So instead what we do is we basically take reclaimed nutrients from produce that is residual and is not recoverable for food, for animal or human consumption. So think of like your um, banana peel remains or anything that is on its way to a composting facility or an anaerobic digester. And we basically, take the water soluble compounds from that uh, produce supply and it allows what we focus on are right now soilless farms those are growing in vertical indoor or greenhouses to become 22 and sometimes up to 100 percent more profitable depending on the crop that they're producing then what is the industry substitute which is the conventional mineral salts that i just described and lead largely to the uh, uh, footprint um, within the fertilizer supply chain so in summary or in short we're really trying to uh, turn in organic hydroponic nutrients from food waste and making it compatible for these soilless farms so let's dig a little deeper into the topic of soilless and vertical farms, if you would, because I'm not sure all of our listeners understand or know what those what that means, either of them. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So with soilless farms, they have very sophisticated um, and oftentimes automated systems that really optimize per square foot how much produce they can produce. So, and that's usually around 20 to 30% and additional yields just by being able to maximize water usage. You know, there's claims of um, using 90 to 95% less water than your field grown produce. You're optimizing nutrient usage. And that's simply because you're able to have much more targeted and therefore precise nutrient targeting at the roots of these plants. And then third, really being able to optimize space footprint. So vertically um, growing has enabled to grow from racking systems, uh, more produce, a variety of produce. And you know, we, we take a p- company position that, 
that we don't ever foresee, nor are we trying to push for soilless farming to overcome or take place of uh, field-grown agriculture. There is certainly a place for that, especially for those that are growing within the movement of regenerative. But what we see it as is a supplementary way to grow year-round without the usage of pesticides and herbicides and a number of other inputs in a much more uh, targeted way that we hope to be more distributed, local to a lot of communities, and therefore more sustainable because you're um, far reducing the number of food miles um, to transport this food grown in these more modular distributed farms, whereas in field grown, you know, they're much more distant to urban, urban populations. I see. So you, so one of the reasons that you developed renewables ag tech was to drive the growth of urban agriculture and support the reuse of food waste within an urban waste management system. So tell our listeners where some urban agriculture centers are growing in the United States and how ag tech firms like Renewable are participating in that growth. Great question. You know, and the way we kind of, um, what really kind of led to this concept and what really fueled uh, the, the impetus for Renewable was really looking at, okay, in New York City, where we have very underserved communities from a nutrient density standpoint and, and just from food desserts, um, my direct observation of kids in Harlem that I was doing a pro bono teaching program, you know, really seeing the food options that they were bringing to our 8 a.m. Uh, prep SET program, it was a direct kind of realization for me because I felt that what they were bringing and often consuming wasn't helping them retain the information, being productive, and ultimately was going to cause a systemic issue with the type of you know, opportunities they can have in the future. It all comes down to nutrient access um, from a health perspective and, and just productivity perspective. So in urban areas, you have Philadelphia, you have um, in, in California, uh, Tampa, Florida, Houston, Texas, where they have sustainability plans with very aggressive uh, goals, um, either for zero waste into landfills or increasing food access, urban agriculture largely contributes to that. And so what we did, you know, back in 2011, which is the documented start date, we really didn't start renewable until 2015 um, and had largely bootstrapped, spent about five, six years on, on research. But it was all predicated based on these sustainability plans, which really focused on how can you know food be more um, produced in a resilient way that is going to be compa combative and adaptable for these urban areas to be able to consume, uh, distribute, but also produce food that has a lower carbon footprint and can be done in a more resource efficient manner. And so that served as the impetus for, for renewable base in New York City. Our facility is in upstate New York. Um, but by far, you know, you're seeing that same type of methodology and those similar types of goals in Paris, uh, throughout Italy. And, and you're seeing more corporate shareholders and larger publicly traded companies keep themselves accountable, not only from a supply chain perspective, but also because they recognize that this is a sentiment from that their consumers are demanding. So it was very much, you know, we have been fortunate from a timing perspective to be forward thinking, you know, several years ago on this, but it is certainly supported from a corporate perspective, from a municipal perspective, and consumers now are really getting behind this. And I think even more so, you know, we as a company, 
company want to challenge not only the fact with how can we grow more nutrient-dense food, but are we pushing the needle as much as possible as a supplier and an advocate and uh, supporter to our farms in increasing that nutritional value so that they can become more profitable? And then lastly, can we help support them in a way that increases their supply chain transparency and also the lower their carbon footprint? So it's very much a package type of offering for us and not seen as a commodity, if that makes sense. Yes, it does, Tania, and that's a perfect segue into my next uh, question for you. Now, let's talk about how circular economy principles are supporting the growth of urban agriculture around the world. And if you would, include a couple of examples of how these principles apply to agriculture in general, and more specifically to urban agriculture. And could you start with a brief description of the circular economy for listeners who might not be familiar with this idea? Yeah, the circular economy has become much more of a, a prominent topic in the sense that it is really driving um, the, the idea around resource efficiency. So evaluating not only you know, the inputs going into our waste stream and trying to find the best use as well as the highest value for the outputs or the waste that is produced from whatever has been consumed. But I also really want to make sure that your listeners also realize the value behind making sure that there's a proper off taker for the waste stream. So, you know, I'm a part of Manhattan Solid Waste Advisory Board here in New York City. And, you know, a lot of um, conversation always revolves around, you know, trying to reduce consumption, which is it, first and foremost, the, the biggest, um, the largest prior, priority all of us should have. Um, and then how can we increase the recycling? Yes, second great known um, priority. But third, you know, I, that I think should be also more precedent, and I'm unfortunately not, not hearing it as often, is making sure that there's a proper off-taker. And what I mean by that is, you know, if there are compostable wares or compostable materials that can be made while supporting a cir circular economy from a uh, waste supply, whether it's fabrics or organic residue or um, any any type of, let's say, waste of value, then just ensuring that there is someone that can turn that and upcycle or productize that into another said good that is actually going to have a value to it. Because often what I see, and this has been for years, is that, yes, we're using compostable wares that have been produced from food waste, but oftentimes these composting facilities aren't able to compost it. So that's it's a huge challenge. Yeah. And so in urban agriculture, um, one of the examples that, and I apologize, Paul, were you trying to mention something there? No, no, no I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Um, we, you know, it, a great example is there has been more, and I've heard this more in the U.S. than outside, and I will give an example for um, an international type of circular economy model, but using wastewater um, from municipal uh, wastewater treatment centers to serve as a input for agricultural uh, fertilizer, which is great. However, I also really want to make sure that people are aware of the, the potential risks, right? And just really doing the due diligence of the entire kind of value stream to make that circular type good. Because for example, you have forever chemicals, you have pharmaceutical compounds that can't easily be denatured or what is known as broken down into a way that you know is not gonna be at risk to either the plant 
or the person consuming it. So people really have to evaluate and scrutinize, you know, what are all the potential risks of what is being consumed that has been upcycled from that circular, uh, let's say, waste stream. Outside of the U.S., you know, we've seen models where people are taking um, food waste and they're turning it. They're okay. Great example is they're taking food waste, they're pulverizing it and turning it into a powdered um, uh, ingredient or powdered uh, seasoning, which is great. And I think the ingredient side, we're trying, we're seeing more entrepreneurs trying to see if they can increase nutritional value in an antioxidant level. Um, so these are all great causes. I just really want to make sure everyone just really does the proper due diligence to understand what is in it, what can't be removed or completely denatured, um, and what are we exposing to people downstream that may ultimately consume this. So it sounds like this is a, is a complicated process, and there's a lot of research involved in it to really understand uh, the, the, what these compounds on whatever type of waste uh, materials are before we put them back into the, the agricultural and food systems, for example. And you do a lot of public speaking on topics like urban agriculture, ag tech, entrepreneurship, diversity and inclusion, and smart cities. So let's talk about any opportunities that our listeners might have for tuning in to hear what you have to say on these types of topics. Are you going to be speaking uh, in, in any places or uh, in any virtual events in the near future where people can tune in? I appreciate you asking, Paul. You know, the great um, opportunity coming up this Monday is um, the Wall Street Wall Street Green Summit. Uh, I'll be speaking with a panel at 11, and then there's another um, personal presentation later that afternoon. Um, there are a few opportunities statewide in New York that are coming up in November, uh, but the best way to follow up on that is if anyone were to subscribe to our newsletter at Renewable.com, and that's www.re-nuble.com. I think there are a lot of people meaningfully and positively contributing to this. I just really hope that people just, you know, really ethically think about how are they turning things into a, a, a good that the greater good of all can benefit from, but doing it in a way that uh, is ethically sound. So, Tania, you haven't mentioned the 30-minute lunch series with Renewable. Uh, has that launched yet? Are you doing that on, a, on an ongoing basis? Oh, I appreciate that. We do plan on doing it on an ongoing basis. We did wrap up one that was talking about um, organic nutrients in soilless systems and the challenges uh, behind using that, of which we spent at least six to seven years researching that. Um, so that was a great one. And we'll, we'll be putting the recorded session soon on our website. There is one coming up that I failed to mention, so I appreciate that, Paul. Um, we'll be talking about how we can help soilless farms uh, take their on-site production waste. So think of like your vines, your cutting waste that really can't officially go to a nearby animal farm or composting facility just simply due to distance. And we can help them turn it back to a free source of potable water, as well as biostimulants that can help increase the nutritional value of their produce. So really interesting um, uh, technology we have, and we'll be hosting that this Wednesday, October 7th at 12 uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Terrific. Now, 
There's one other event coming up that you haven't mentioned, so I will ask you to talk a little bit about it, and that's the fifth annual New York Ag Tech Week for 2020 conference. It's going to take place on October 21st and 22nd. And what can you tell our listeners about that event? Yeah, so, and I appreciate you mentioning that. So we've been a part of New York City Agricultural Collective since its founding, which is about five years ago. Um, a lot of the early kind of like pioneers, so a lot of the team was part of, uh, or is a part of Aero Farms during its earliest days, Bowery Farms, um, and a couple of others that have moved outside of New York to start ventures in this space. It, 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 what we try to do is, you know, give information to what has now increasingly become early entrepreneurs, students, um, universities, so a lot of academics as well that really just want to have affordable and accessible information about, you know, kind of helping them create a pathway to consider starting a farm. What are the structures and challenges to do so? Where, you know, market-wise does it make the most sense? What, it, how can you produce a farm that is financially and structurally sound? So a lot of diverse each year, uh, diverse speakers um, with different backgrounds around the country as well as outside the country that often show up and excited about this year's uh, panels that they have planned as well. Yeah, and that's going to be a virtual event, uh, obviously this fall, but uh, one of the places that people can find out information about tickets for that event is at, at uh, Eventbrite. And there's an address that we'll include in the attachments tab of this podcast so that people can get more information about it. So exactly. what, else, what else are you involved in in the near future that our listeners might want to know about? Uh, any, any new technologies that are being developed in, in your part of, of um, ag tech that, that people might want to hear about? Yeah, so in the next couple months, uh, and I would say actually less than that, several weeks, we'll be releasing several case studies for a couple of partnered farm trials that we've been doing here in New York. Um, really just been been doing this privately uh, for a while just because we wanted to make sure that the, the data was replicable and consistent as much as possible. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is the, the um, reveal of our on-site production on-site food waste recovery system, I apologize. Um, and that's, there's gonna be a couple of pilots and case studies to roll out from that as well. So our focus really is just to really show the case studies, which help us show the following. We've lowered these carbon footprints of the, the farms. We've increased their nutritional value and also their profitability. Um, and hopefully we can really just show and keep ourselves accountable to changing the way health food is grown. Well, Tania, thank you very much for all of this good information about places where people can get more resources related to uh, urban agriculture. Now, where can Sustainable Finance Podcast subscribers learn more about renewable and how can investors and financial advisors reach you with questions about today's program? Yeah, the best way, and I check all of our emails just because I'd like to make sure that, you know, we're consistent with um, how, how, you know, we're, we're being in contact with everyone and making sure that I'm, I'm a part of that process. So the best way is through our website and that's at renewable, R-E dash, N as in Nancy, U, B as in boy, L-E.com. Um, we check it every day. So it's never left unresponsive and uh, yeah, just follow our, our, we have a LinkedIn account. 
Twitter account, Instagram, um, but more prominently given your, your audience, Paul, I would say LinkedIn is the best one to follow up. Okay, great. Well, thanks again, Tania. And for our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast.